All right, good morning. How are you? So good to be with you this morning. Thank you. Back at you. I appreciate it. I've missed uh, being in front of you, pastoring and preaching, and I, uh, it's good to be back. And for the next couple of hours, I'm going to share this message. It's been a while. So I do I appreciate it. For those of you that are new to New Life, I don't get greeted like that every Sunday, I promise. So it's a smattering, golf clapping, booing, some things like that. But anyway, I'm joking. I'm good to be back. I, uh, on Christmas Eve last year, I, I developed a cough. And for the last, I don't know, 99 days, I've not been able to talk for more than a few minutes without going into a cough. Now, let's set some ground rules. There is no guarantee that I won't cough during a message, but if I do, what I need you to do is shout amen if I cough. So that is your cue to say amen really loud. That way I know we're in this together, okay? But uh, I did go, I I believe in two things. I believe in prayer and I appreciate all your prayers for me. I've not been sick. I felt great, uh, so, but I felt just I couldn't talk. And then I'm also grateful for good care. So prayer and care. So I made a trip up to the Mayo Clinic a couple of different times. I'm on some good treatments. He told me three weeks ago, <clears throat> he said it's going to take two weeks for this medicine to kick in. And uh, sure enough, in two weeks, I could talk. So I'm back. So it's good to be back with you uh, on Palm Sunday. So thank you so much. So my doctor said, don't talk as long and don't shout, which I actually may become a pretty good preacher at some point now because the sermons are going to be shorter, not as loud. So if you can handle that, I can handle it. All right. So several announcements. This is a big week. It's Holy Week. Uh, This is Palm Sunday, which launches us into a whole week long celebration, remembrance of Jesus and what he did. We're walking through the passion of the Christ, right? So on Wednesday, we would normally have a first Wednesday service, but we're gonna do something special this year, and we're gonna have an entire day of prayer in the World Prayer Center from 7.30 in the morning to 7.30 at night, 12 hours of continuous worship and prayer. You can come to all of it if you want. You can come to 10 minutes of it, but come to part of it. But on Wednesday, we're going to kind of get our eyes, our hearts, our mind on what it means to follow Jesus with 12 hours of prayer in the World Prayer Center, okay? And then on Friday is Good Friday. Friday at 6.30, right here in this room, we're going to have a huge celebration. If you've never been to a Good Friday service, I can promise you this. If you will come to a Good Friday service, Easter Sunday will be more special, a more special celebration for you. Oftentimes we celebrate the empty tomb, but we forget about the cross. And Good Friday focuses us on what happened. The entire service on Friday night will be about the cross, what happened on the cross, the seven last sayings of the cross. And at the end of the service, we're gonna light a candle, hear those seven last sayings, almost caught there, and then We'll extinguish our candle and walk out in silence. And what I'm suggesting that you do is take kind of a low-key Saturday. Kind of like, like maybe take it down a notch on Saturday. Just relax on Saturday in anticipation of coming in on Sunday with your full strength to celebrate an empty tomb on Sunday morning. So Easter Sunday here at New Life North will be at 8 a.m., 10 a.m., and 12 noon. Now, I want to ask you, 
like I do every year, for as many of you that can, come to the noon service. I'm gonna to try to preach all three of them, but by the time I get to 12 noon next week, I'm gonna be loopy, I'm gonna be funny, I'll, it'll be shorter. You'll wanna to come to the noon service, all right? 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. will be really, really full. So let me just caution you, if you do come to the eight and the 10, we want you to come to whichever one suits you best. Don't come late. So if you show up 10 minutes late on 10 a.m., we will have overflow services in the theater available, I think, or somewhere out there. But don't complain if you get here 10 minutes late and it's already full. So I would actually suggest you come 15 minutes early. Bring some coffee with you and be ready to go, okay? Are you excited? All right. Well, turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 11. And I'm going to pick up where Pastor Daniel left off in the offering moment. Jesus is about to enter into Jerusalem for his final time. It's the last time that he's going to make the big entrance into this city. Now, there's a reason why Jesus did not spend a lot of time in Jerusalem. Number one, the Sea of Galilee in that part of Israel is, is beautiful. It's more lush, it's green, it's got water. Jerusalem's actually in a desert, a high desert. And Jerusalem was a place also where there was a lot of fighting and fussing and religious aggravation. He couldn't go very many places in Jerusalem without being confronted by really mean religious people. And I think he kind of avoided that. In fact, I kind of avoid mean religious people. I mean, how many of you look for mean religious people to hang out with, right? Don't do that. We look for people that are kind, smart, kind, funny. And so Jesus would hang out with the fishermen up on the Sea of Galilee because they were a lot more fun than the mean religious people in Jerusalem. But on this day, he has come to announce two things. And I'm going to show you these two things in two different stories right here in Mark chapter 11. Let's prepare ourselves to hear the word of the Lord. Father, what a joy, what a privilege, what an honor it is to hear your word. And these words are not just ink on pages. They are living and active. They're sharper than a double-edged sword. And we give you permission this morning to take these stories, to take these words, and would you do holy work in hidden places? Would you do holy work in places that only you can do? So we give you permission to challenge us, to change us, to shape us, to encourage us, to strengthen us, and do all of that by the power of your spirit. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. If you're okay with that, say amen. amen. All right, Mark chapter 11, when they brought the colt to Jesus, the stolen animal, I love that. I got the joke, Daniel, by the way, when you said it. I caught it, I laughed out loud. When they brought the stolen colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. And many people spread their, took off their outer garments and put it on the road. And that was a sign of absolute respect and admiration. And while others, listen very carefully, underline this in your Bible, other people spread branches they had cut in the fields. Now leave that up just for a moment, I wanna explain this to you. Let me ask you a question. Who decided to wave palm branches? Was it Jesus or was it his followers? His followers, that was not the idea of Jesus. Jesus never once gave a command for them to wave palm branches. That was the people's idea. And the reason they waved palm branches, it was a, it was a sign of military might. It started back in the Maccabean period, hundreds of years earlier. The Maccabeans, when they were 
calling out for military might, would cut off palm branches and wave them in the air as a signal to the people that a military uprising was on its way. So I want you to think about Jesus riding in on a colt, not a war horse. He's on a humble animal, but he's coming into a group of people who are waving palm branches, shouting Hosanna. That was their idea. That was not Jesus's idea. So they were calling for Jesus to be something other than what he was. So they, they, when they brought the cult to Jesus, they, they come to him. All right, go to verse uh, nine there. And those who went ahead and those who followed, so in front of him and behind him, they were shouting, Hosanna. I'm not supposed to yell, but I'm gonna do it anyway. Hosanna, <laughs> blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You know what Hosanna means? Hosanna means save us. We're in trouble. It's like if you were being marched down the street and your neighbors and friends saw you and you realized you needed help. This is a shout for help. Please help me. I am under duress. I need to be rescued. Please save me. So this is what Jesus is hearing as he's coming into the city. Please save us. Blessed is, is, this is then they said this in verse 10, Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Now that's a loaded phrase there. Because again, they all had their own ideas of what Jesus was supposed to do when he came back to Jerusalem. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Now all of this was a fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy out of Zechariah. Zechariah, by the power of the Holy Spirit in a moment of prayer, had seen ahead to the moment when the Messiah would come back to Jerusalem. And this is what Zechariah had said hundreds of years earlier. He says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. Your king comes to you. That's Messiah language. Your Messiah, your king comes to you. Righteous and having salvation. Gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Hosanna, this word that we sang out loud a minute ago, I think it's a great word for us to bring back into our vocabulary, not just on Palm Sunday, but for every day. Because Hosanna is a cry of hope. It's a cry of hope from an oppressed people, living under Roman rule, and it means save us. So many times this past week as I turned on the news and watched the devastating tornadoes and murder, in a classroom in Nashville. So many times this week I heard myself saying, Hosanna, Maranatha, come soon, Lord, and save us. Hosanna, we are a people who need to be rescued. We're a people living under darkness, living under oppression. And just a week later, Jesus would do exactly that. A week later, Jesus would save them, but not in the way that they ever would have imagined. Can you imagine Jesus saying, listen, let me tell you what's about to happen. I'm about to be falsely accused. It's gonna be the worst trial in the history of Jerusalem. It's gonna be the sham of a trial. They're gonna beat me to within an inch of my life. They're gonna take me outside the city gates that I just rode in on. They're gonna strip me naked in front of my mom and a bunch of her friends, and they're gonna crucify me. But on the third day, I'm gonna to go to a borrowed tomb and come out of it by the power of the Spirit, and that's going to save you. Nobody would have believed that. Yet here we are 2,000 years later 
All of us in this room who are followers of Jesus are a product. We are the ones who have been redeemed. Our lives have been forever changed because Jesus chose the path that was best for us, not the path that we chose for ourselves. And this is the whole part of the story. In fact, I want you to write down this one question. It is the question that I want you to answer and think about today. Is the Jesus we want the Jesus we need? Have we created the idea of Jesus? Are we following our idea of Jesus? Or are we really giving our lives to the Jesus of the scriptures? And listen, this has been a temptation for 2,000 years. In every culture I've been in, I've been in Turkey, I've been in the UK, I've been in Central America, in these uh, religious buildings and shrines, and I've seen these pictures firsthand. Every culture tries to make Jesus in their own image. I'm gonna show you a few of these, okay? Let me show you this one. This is from Guatemala. In Guatemala, this is a painting of the birth of Jesus. But these are, Mary looks Guatemalan. Everything there looks Guatemalan. They have made Jesus Guatemalan. They are worshiping the Guatemalan version of Jesus. Same, this is a painting from India. India, this is a painting of the birth of Jesus. They've made themselves Jesus look Indian. The surroundings look like Indians. This is from China. In China, this is the picture of the birth of Jesus. Mary looks Chinese, Jesus looks Chinese. Everything around them looks Chinese. Look, look at this one from Uganda. So every continent. It, it, look at this next one from Australia. This is, uh, again, every culture making Jesus look like them and reflect them. And th listen, I understand that. They're, they're trying to put context around Jesus, helping people understand Jesus through their cultural context. So it's not sinful to do this. The problem is if you're not careful, we'll start shaping Jesus into our image. And we cannot shape Jesus into our image. Jesus intends by the power of the Spirit to shape us into his image. This is what we're called to do. This is my responsibility when I stand in front of you not to tell you about a Jesus that you want. I'm here to tell you about a Jesus that you need. I, it's not a Jesus I want sometimes. Jesus requires things from us. He said to his followers, take up your cross. You follow me by taking up your cross. And the Bible says when he started talking about sacraments and, sa and, and sacrifice, when he started using that kind of language, the Bible said thousands of people stopped following Jesus at that moment. And in one of the most epic moments in the life of Jesus, he turned to his 12 disciples and said, are you going to leave me too? And Peter said, where else would we go? You're the only one that has salvation for us. Where else would we go? And of course, Jesus looks at Peter and says, nobody told you that except the Spirit. And you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And what he was saying was, upon a people like that, I will build my church that will last for all eternity. The same confession that Peter made is the same confession we have to make. I'm not looking for any other place for my salvation except the person of Jesus. Jesus is the only one that can save us. He's the only one that can redeem us. He's the only one that can carry me into eternity. And on that rock, we will build our church. Somebody say amen.
Now here's the problem. If we create a God in our own image, we'll attempt to use that God for our own benefit. Gods that you create are gods that were meant to serve you. When we choose to follow Jesus, we're not choosing to follow ourselves. In fact, we're dying to ourselves so that we can follow this Jesus. So in the American culture especially, I, I, I can't say this too much. Jesus is not a celebrity to be admired. He's Christ to be followed. And by the way, Christ is a living being right now. I've had conversations with Jesus this morning and he responded back to me. Did you, did you know that that's possible? Jesus is alive. Next Sunday when we roll into here, we're not celebrating a dead Jesus. We're not celebrating an historical Jesus. We're celebrating a Jesus that's living and breathing and active. He is Lord, he is the King, he's alive right now. He wants to know you and you can know him. That's the powerful part of this message. You can know him right now. He wants to know you, he does know you. You can have a really great conversation with him this afternoon if you want. I've talked to him this morning. He told me to tell you hello. Good to hear from some of you. Been waiting to hear from a few of you. But he told me to tell you hello. That, that's how personal Jesus is to me. I woke up this morning, I said, come Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit right away said, Jesus is alive. Remind people I'm alive. He's living. He's a person. He's God. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father, interceding for all of us today. So this Jesus now is into Jerusalem. And when he, he marches straight to the temple, now the temple, what we talk, the Mount of Olives and the, the temple is not that far away. Honestly, it's like walking across our parking lot. It's that close. So it doesn't take him long to get into Jerusalem and right through the Eastern gate right there is the temple. So he walks to the Temple Mount. I was just there back in June. I got up to the Temple Mount. And this is where he is. He walks up there. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts. Now, there's the most holy place, but there's a huge expanse outside of that where anyone can show up. It's, it's the place where Gentiles are allowed. The reason I could go up there, even now, is because I'm a Gentile. I, there are some places I could not go into. The Arabs have it controlled. Jewish people don't want you there. But the outer courts was thousands of people. And because this was Passover, it was super crowded. So Jesus entered the temple courts where Gentiles were allowed. Now, I'm, I'm mentioning this to you for a reason. Because a lot of people don't know why Jesus got so mad. I'm going to show this to you, okay? So he comes into the temple courts, sweet baby Jesus, humble, cult, donkey riding Jesus, turns into an angry person. And he, be, he began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturns tables. And, and some, in one version, Matthew, I think it's Matthew or maybe Luke, that he, he puts together a whip. And he overturns the tables and the benches of those selling doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. Now, let me just stop here and explain this. There was a temple tax that you had to pay in order to get into the temple. And there was a particular coin that the priest there wanted. 
So if you were from the countryside, if you were a country bumpkin showing up with your particular coin, that coin was rejected. We don't want that coin. So you had to take your coin to a money changer and get the right coin to pay the temple tax. Well, the coin they wanted had more silver in it. And the priests, the leaders, had created a scam where they were making a lot of money on Passover because they would only take a particular coin that had more silver than all the other coins. They were making a fortune. They rejected the coins of poor people. They accepted the coins of the wealthy. And when Jesus saw this, and there, were, there was a whole list of things about, you know, if we brought a lamb and that lamb had one spot on it, you couldn't, sell, you couldn't sacrifice that lamb. You gotta buy one of our lambs. And so they were charging exorbitant prices for birds and sacrifices. They were only accepting particular coins. And Jesus saw this. Now, why did that make Jesus mad? Is he against capitalism? No, that's not why. He was mad because they were making it difficult for common poor people to find God. They, they had put unnecessary boundaries. He says, as he taught them, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. A lot of people quote that, my house will be called a house of prayer, and they forget to add that last part, for everyone all nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. And at that moment, look at verse 18, that moment, that doomed Jesus to the cross right then. A lot of people ask me, especially during this time of year, why did they really kill Jesus? Well, I'm gonna give you the answer. I'll show you right here. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and they began looking for a way to kill him. And that would happen five days later, five or six days later, depending on how you do the math but they began looking for a way to kill him for they feared him. And by the way, if you're afraid of someone, you'll, always, you'll learn to hate people you're afraid of because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. The reason Jesus was killed is because he upset their corrupt economy. They had created a scam. They had created something that was making it difficult for people to find God. Listen, it's already called the narrow road. Right, so Jesus himself called it, the path to, to destruction is wide and a lot of people are on it. But the road that leads to life is what? Narrow. Now we know that for a fact. We, as Christ followers, cannot create unnecessary things, impediments. If it's already narrow, then we need to clear the path, not add to the path. So New Life Church, I wanna give you something. For 99 days, I've been sitting on the front row thinking about this message. And, I've want, and it's been good for me to sit. Quite honestly, it was good for me to just to be a normal church person for about three months. I came in like you, sat, I worshiped, and I received for three months. It's been good for me. On lots of levels, it's been really, really good time for me. But as I sat there among you on the front row, one of the big questions that the Lord has been asking of me these last three months, he said, Brady, can anyone come to New Life Church and find Jesus? Can anyone? What if they look different, talk different, 
smell different, vote different. Can anyone come through that door and sit among your people and find God? Or have we created unnecessary impediments that keep people away from God? Or have we become an invitational people where people are attracted to what God's doing in our lives so much that they're willing to sit with us, even with strong disagreements? Will we put aside our strong disagreements over things that are not that important and allow people to find the goodness of God at New Life Church? New Life, I'm gonna tell you something, I'm gonna pastor a church that anyone can walk through that door and find Christ. Everyone can walk through that door and find Jesus. That's the kind of church that the Lord will bless in these last days. The kind of place where his spirit will be poured out. When you cry out for revival, and I know some of you are crying out, revival in our nation, revival in our church, it starts first with a revival of our soul though. Before church, revival ever happens in the nation, it'll always start in the church. And revival never starts in a church before a group of people allow Jesus to be Lord over all their lives. He will not pour out his spirit on a half-hearted people, but he will pour out his spirit on the people that have allowed the doors to be swung open. Listen, New Life's doors are swung open right now. In a couple of weeks, you'll see this. Pay attention to who's getting baptized in two weeks. You'll be shocked at the diversity, the young, old, rich and poor, black, white and brown people will all be baptized in two weeks. Why? Because that's the church we are. Everyone can find Jesus here. And this is is so critical to the, the story. And by the way, this is not an excuse for every angry action. Over the last four or five years, I have, people have quoted Matthew 11 to me uh, to justify their anger. Well, you know, Jesus turned over those tables, I have a right to be angry too. Listen, Jesus was angry for a few minutes. Some of you have been mad for five years. There was, that you probably can count the number of minutes that Jesus was really angry. It's probably less than 30 minutes of his three years of ministry. He was winsome. He was full of grace. Jesus was angry because they'd made it difficult to find God. New Life Church, I'm here today to remind us that we all need saving. All of us should be crying out every day, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. I wanna read Psalm 118 over you as a way to help our hearts get clean today. I want Psalm 118 to wash like water over your soul today. It says, Lord, save us. Come on, say that out loud with me. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. And blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. And look at verse 27, pray it out loud with me. The Lord is God. And he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. You stand with me this morning. Let's pray that together as we prepare ourselves to come to the table of the Lord. We just lift our hands before him.